This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hello and welcome. This is Colleen O'Grady, the host of the Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. This is a gathering place for moms to be encouraged, nurtured, and inspired. Also, you'll learn the latest in teen research and trends and get practical parenting tips. You really can improve your relationship with your teen and enjoy the teenage years. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9, with available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults, with zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Welcome back to the 155th episode of Power Your Parenting Moms the Teens podcast. I'm Colleen O'Grady, the host of the show. This week, I'm going to briefly talk about the fourth chapter of my upcoming book, Dial Up the Dream. The chapter title is The Five Key Facets for Laying a New Foundation. Here's why this chapter is so important. When your teen was living under your roof, you spent a lot of time monitoring your teen, like you need to get up. You need to give me your phone. You need to be home by this time. You need to work on your college applications. You need to make sure you clean your room if you want to go out. This was the heavy lifting of parenting, or I sometimes call hurting cats. But this part of parenting isn't really about relationship because it's a monologue. You're trying to get your team from point A to point B. You may have minimized the softer qualities of parenting, which have to do with a genuine, heartfelt relationship with your teen. But when your teen leaves home, you'll find these, quote, softer aspects of parenting are really the foundation of your new connection with your teen. In this chapter, I go into the five key facets that provide a strong foundation for your relationship with your teen. You need this strong foundation more than ever, and actually your emerging adult needs this too. When your teen leaves home, if all you are is a monitor, well, your teen will distance from you. The monitor will not work for the simple fact is that they are not in your home. You can't monitor them. If you try, though, to monitor your teen, they will blow you off and keep their distance. If you try to monitor with threats, like if you don't call me back, I'm not sending you money, this will only build a wall of resentment between you and your son or daughter. The five key facets are now the priority because it keeps you and your late teen to early 20-year-old connected. This is the foundation for the new role you will play in their life. If you try to skip this foundation, the building will fall, the relationship will fall, just like a house built on no foundation. I will be talking about the five key facets and so much more at my Dial at the Dream online event on May 5th. 
Go to dialupthedream.com to learn how to sign up. The good news is that this event is free when you pre-order Dial Up The Dream. I am going to have some amazing guests and free giveaways. Normally, this event would cost $200, but this event is free when you pre-order Dial Up The Dream. So again, you can go to my website at ColleenOGrady.com or DialUpTheDream.com to find out more and to sign up. I love this next guest. She is as passionate about teen girls as I am. She has done amazing research with girls for the past 15 years. Her book, Girls Without Limits, Helping Girls Succeed in Relationships, Academics, Careers, and Life was first published in 2013. And she just published her second edition in 2021. We have a great discussion about how things have changed for girls in the past eight years. Dr. Lisa Hinkleman is the founder and CEO of Ruling Our Experiences, Inc., R-O-X. She is a counselor, educator, researcher, and author. Hinkleman's work for the past 15 years has focused on the critical issues impacting girls and how schools, parents, and educators can effectively support and encourage girls' interpersonal, educational, and career growth. Previously, as a counselor education faculty member at The Ohio State University, her teaching and scholarly research focused on social and emotional learning, non-academic barriers that impact learning and girls' self-concept development. She was selected as a nominated change maker for the White House United States of Women, Smart Business CEO of the Year, and is a Draper Richards Kaplan Social Entrepreneur Fellow. So welcome, Dr. Lisa. Thank you, Colleen. I'm excited to be with you. Yes. So the first question that I ask all my moms is, do you have children? Yeah, so this is a great story. I think it's a great story. It is a great um, story. <laughs> I do have a daughter and she's very young. She's uh, 19 months old right now. And uh, it's been so interesting because I have been doing this work focused and centered on girls for over 15 years. And uh, I have been married for 22 years. And I have a 19 month old now. <laughs> <laughs> So it has been such an interesting, happy experience, but one that I've come to much later in life than most. And I think that sometimes people's passion for doing the work that they, that they care most about comes from the people that they love most. For me, it, it was kind of reversed. It's like I started doing this work and didn't think I could be more passionate about it or didn't think I could care more about it <laughs> until having my own girl. And, yeah. you know, and now looking at the world through her eyes or thinking about what her experiences will be in just a few years time um, has me thinking long and hard about, you know, what's next for the future of my work and for the future of girls. Mm, I bet. So for the past 15 years, your work is centered around the critical issues girls face and how parents, mentors and other adults can better help them. What inspired you to take deeper look at these issues? I think for me, as I've learned with most girls and women, you know, their growing up years were hard. And those adolescent years, uh, while they look different now for teen girls, they're pretty troubling. And, and you're kind of navigating a space where you don't feel comfortable in your own skin. You're trying to figure out who you are and where you fit in. And, and for me, those years were pretty tumultuous, I would say. I... My family moved to a new school district when I was going into sixth grade. Mm. And, and I was like one of those girls who, um, I was a tomboy. I have two older brothers. I was also like an early developer. So I was like bigger than everyone in my whole class. And then I'm at a new brand new school where I don't know anybody and really feel like I don't fit in. And I think those years I felt isolated and I felt disconnected. I felt like I didn't have any great girlfriends. And I really didn't feel like I had that until like much later in high school or even into college. And in retrospect, I think about what would have been different for me if I had strong female friends in my life? What different decisions may I have made if I had people who were affirming me instead of competing with me or tearing me down? And I realized 
you know, as my work as a, as a counselor and then as an educator that like girls today are still dealing with that same stuff mm-hmm. and this like competition with other girls and not feeling comfortable in their own skin. And, and for me, it was like, if we can give them a different path, a different experience, a different trajectory, we have the chance to, to change their life. And that feels hopeful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you published Girls Without Limits, Helping Girls Succeed in Relationships, Academics, Careers, and Life in 2013. And then you published your second edition in 2021. So what do you think is actually different with girls since you first published your book? And what do you think has stayed the same? Yeah, it 2013 feels like so long ago <laughs> in, in some ways and then not that long ago in others. I would say that some of the biggest shifts that we've seen have been around social media and the impact and influence that social media is playing in girls' lives. And, you know, when, when my nonprofit organization, the research study behind that first began, it was 2006. And I was a professor at Ohio State and I was training people to be school counselors and mental health counselors and and started this small study and really wanted to look at the issues impacting girls and then how we could address those through teaching girls strategies and skills to navigate the complexities. So 2006, social media wasn't a thing at all. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Like Facebook was just getting started Mm. and that's when girls were like trying to figure out how to get on Facebook because you had to have a college email address. And now girls are like, Ew, Facebook, my grandma's (laughs) on Facebook, you know, like they, it's like such a thing that they're totally uh, staying away from. But, but, you know, even from 2006 to 13, we saw an increase in social media use and, and how girls were navigating that. But it's been such an uptick over these last several years and and to the point where they're engaging younger, the technology is starting earlier and the impact is more pervasive because it's, it's influencing how they feel about their bodies. It's influencing their relationships with other girls. It's influencing how they think about dating. And, and so when I think about all of the issues impacting girls, I feel like we now have to look at so much of that through that lens of social media. Yeah. And uh, so that's been one of the, I would say that's been one of the big shifts. I think what stayed the same is girls' confidence, like the big decline in girls' confidence. Mm -hmm. We haven't seen improvements there. What has also stayed the same is in many ways, girls still have continued limitations as far as academic opportunities, career opportunities, leadership opportunities, And we'd like to think we've made so much progress, but when we look across the spectrum of occupations or who's occupying CEO positions in Fortune 500 companies or who's leading school districts, or it's still a lack of equity there. And so I still think that there's progress being made, Mm -hmm. um, but when we look at the big picture, there's still so much work to do. Mm -hmm. I agree. So the topics in Girls Without Limits are heavily supported by the multi-year research survey, the Girls Index, for which you were the author and principal investigator. Can you briefly explain this index and what results you found? Yeah, so what's so exciting about this? So the the Girls Index um, was a large-scale national study. And so what we did is we put a research team together and we Um, developed an instrument that we use to survey girls across the country, fifth through 12th grade. And so we partnered with schools um, to administer the survey to their girls. And so we asked them all kinds of questions like about leadership and about social media use, about relationships with other girls. We asked them the questions that they're the experts on, right? Yeah. To to get some insights into their lives. And so we had uh, almost 11,000 girls participate in that study. Yeah, that's impressive. Yeah, so it's a nationally representative sample. And the findings are all available. Like you can download all of the findings on our website, which is rulingourexperiences.org. There's a section in there called the Girls Index that has the complete findings from the survey, And then there's also some impact reports 
that are deeper dives into specific topics like girls in sports. And there's one on girls in STEM and there's one on girls in diversity. But ultimately, some of the key findings that I think most people have hooked into or like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that. One was a a 26% drop in confidence between fifth and ninth grade and that it didn't recover. And so we saw this decline and we saw it, we saw where it hit and settled and then we never saw it go back up. Okay. So, wow. I mean, I remember that all the research done about the confidence drop and gap, but I didn't know it never went back up. Yeah. So it doesn't go back up during high school. Wow. And some, some recent research that came out, I want to say maybe two years ago at this time that came out of Harvard showed that women don't begin to rate themselves as more confident than men until they're in their mid forties. <laughs> So from the time that we're 10, right, in fifth grade till let's say 45, we're still struggling with our confidence. And yeah, so that's particularly troubling. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Which leads to this next question is what can moms do to help create a generation of girls who are strong, confident and successful? No, I feel like that's such a complicated question. (laughs) I know Uh, it's huge, (laughs) but whatever comes to mind. Yeah. You know, moms have such an investment in their girls in so many different ways. They want them to be safe. They want them to have healthy relationships. They want them to have access to, you know, options after high school. They want them to be great in their sports. You know, there is a lot of pressure, I think, that girls are feeling from their parents and sometimes from their moms to be really great at everything. And we live in a society right now that really pins girls against each other and creates a sense of competition. Um, I'll give you an example. I, I was speaking last week to a group of sixth grade girls. So I talk a little bit and then there's always lots of questions for me that they have. And the one girl said, what should I start doing now to look great on my college applications? I thought, oh man, you're in sixth grade. Like you should just be having so much fun. And, you know, and, and, but I'm thinking like these, these girls are little pressure cookers. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, actually yesterday I had a sixth grade girl in my practice and she was telling me all the different math courses she was going to take in seventh grade, eighth grade and ninth, like all throughout high school. So she could get into college. Like she yes. had it all planned out, all planned out, which, which in part you have to like be, give her kudos for, cause that's kind of impressive. Yeah. But then at the other side of it, you're like, okay, so you're like 11 you know, and, and while I appreciate that you're thinking in that way, I'm worried about the influences that are coming in that tell you, you have to, you have to apply to 75 different colleges. And if you don't get into this one, then you're not going to make it, or you're not good enough. And if you don't get this ACT score, because now everyone shares, right? Everyone knows what everyone got on the ACT. And so it becomes a a competition. So I I think to get back to the the question of like, what can moms do? I think part of it is trying to help girls lower the temperature on the pressure that they're feeling in all these places, because it's already out there. And I think it's more than just saying like, you shouldn't care. You shouldn't care what other people think, or you shouldn't care what what she says about you, or you shouldn't care what that girl posted about you online because they do care. Right. And we care, we care what other people think about us Yeah, and our girls do too. And so I think sometimes when adults are, are really trying to support girls, we often come from the place of our own experience. Like, Oh, I was your age once and I know how you feel, or I had the same thing happen to me. And the girls are looking at us like, you're too old to understand what I'm going through. And you were, you were a girl like a hundred years ago. And I think then sometimes we really dig in and try to convince them that we get it and that we understand. And I think part of what we have to do is like, take a step back and let our girls be the experts on their lives Mm -hmm. and invite them to share that with us. And that could be like as simple as saying, you know what? I went through a similar experience when I was in eighth grade, but I have no idea what it's like for you. So share Mm -hmm. that with me. Mm -hmm. 
and, mm-hmm. and tell me what that's like, because I don't know, like, we don't know what it's like to be a teen girl today at all. We right. might read things, we might talk to girls, but you don't know what it's like to be her. And, and so sometimes it's just a matter of taking that one down position, mm-hmm. which allows her to take a step up and be the expert yeah. and to teach us a little bit. I think yeah. that's a really easy strategy to talk about, but kind of a hard one to implement. Right. I have like a hundred things going on in my head right now, but yeah, I think like being curious instead of judgmental would be super helpful. And then I was also thinking as you're talking, like, I think moms that we get sucked into the pressure also, like, I think what's different between 2013 and now is the amount of pressure that girls are feeling. I think that has like tripled. So I think then moms, we buy into that pressure And then so we kind of narrow our focus to data points of grades instead of, I think what we can offer our girls is like the big perspective, like you you were talking about, you can do whatever you want. This is really not a big deal. You can get at any college you want to. Boys are not smarter than you. You can, but giving them the big perspective is I think what we can give them. Absolutely. And and I think to your point about the pressure, and you mentioned that moms feel it too, it's not like we grow up and we suddenly have new levels of confidence and you know that we suddenly arrive into our own at age 30 or 40 or 20. It's this, the same stuff that plagues us when we're teens can impact us as women if we don't have any intervention, if we don't have any work that's done in that space. So when that, when our confidence is impacted when we're 12, it's probably still impacted when we're 25 and 35 and 45. And when we start to not like our bodies, when we're little girls, we tend to continue to not like them as adult women. And you know, and I, I think, and I, I wrote a little bit about the stress and pressure in the book because I, I think that we're now in a place where the where we're much more easily able to compare ourselves to everybody else, right? Before right. we were kind of in our own naive place of thinking we were doing something right or like uh, appreciating, you know, what what we saw with our eyes in our environment. Now we, what we see is so much more broad that now what we compare ourselves to is so much more unrealistic, right? Because we're looking at all this stuff on social media that is telling us, oh, look, here's like the perfect cake that you should have for your one-year-old smash cake. And here's these balloon arches that you have to make, right? So you can tell I'm in this little toddler place, right? Yes. Of like, what should I do for Irene's birthday? And then it's, you know, all of these things that make you feel entirely inadequate because they're not Pinterest worthy. And then that pressure just accelerates as this child gets older because the stakes get higher, the um, attention or the comparisons become greater and we're not immune from that. And then our little girls watch us get all high pressure, high stakes. Oh my gosh, this was a total fail. This cake fail, this party fail, bad mom, right? You have that term. I'm such, or, or mom guilt. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. No, like you never hear the term dad guilt. Like that's or you true. never, you never hear a dad say like, I'm <laughs> such a bad dad. I went to work today. And oh, that's hilarious. I, yeah. You know, like, so, so I think about that stuff for our own selves and our own pressure and what our little girls are watching us right. get uptight about. Right. And my work has always been around helping moms and helping moms grow and go a deep dive for moms. So yes, that's so good. So in chapter four, Mean Girls Dealing with Drama and Relationships, you talk about relational aggression. So can you tell us more about what that means and why are girls so mean to each other? Yeah. Oh, if I just could figure that out completely. Um, so relational aggression is a ter- this is kind of an academic term, you know, that was coined probably more than 20 years ago at this point. And it's really the way that people use relationships to be mean to each other. 
right? And so when we think about aggression, we often think about physical fighting. But when we think about the ways that girls tend to be most aggressive, it's through their relationships. Girls are much more likely to exclude one another, spread rumors, create cliques, decide who can sit where. And that is actually so intensely damaging. But it starts Mm -hmm. really early for girls. And the impact of that relational aggression tends to be experienced different for girls than it is for boys. Boys experience relational aggression too. It's not just a girl phenomenon. But the impact and the and the rates of it tend to be much higher among girls, and particularly during the middle school years. That's mm-hmm. where we see the greatest uptick in girls' experiences of relational aggression. So what we know about why girls are, can be mean to each other are a few different things. One is that we're kind of socialized to be competitive with each other. We see images of women tearing each other down much more than we see images of women building each other up. And so from, Mm. right, like every reality show everywhere, Mm -hmm. you know, if the goal of it is a single red rose or whatever else. Mm. Yeah, that's true. It's how do we create competition between women? Because that's much more interesting than how we watch collaboration and support happen. And so girls learn early that me getting the attention, me winning, me being uh, better than you is a good thing. And so that's a, that's a start to why we see some of that happen. The other thing that I attribute a great deal of relational aggression and mean girl behavior and grown-up mean girl behavior is our inability to communicate authentically and assertively with one another. Mm. Girls don't learn uh, how to share their mind or speak their opinions. And so instead of saying like, hey, Colleen, when you didn't invite me to that party, like it totally hurt my feelings. Like I didn't think it was cool at all. And I wanted to talk to you about that. Instead of me having that hard conversation with you, I will just cut you out of my life. I will never talk to you again, or I will just start spreading rumors about you and being like, Mm. oh my God, I can't even believe Colleen wouldn't invite me to that party. And she like tries to be so nice to me in in person, right? So so sometimes that, uh, the difficulty having those really kind of brave, hard, or assertive communications are, are hard for girls. And our research showed that too, is that almost half of girls said that they were afraid to speak their mind or disagree with others because they wanted to be liked. That is such a good point. Oh my gosh. That's a huge takeaway for me. It's a hard, it's a hard one because we're, we're not telling girls that their voice and their opinion are as valuable as the other person's. And Mm. we're watching them really have difficulty speaking up because because they think if they do, that the other person won't like them. Mm-hmm. And girls are very invested in being nice and being liked and being mm-hmm. perceived as kind mm-hmm. much more than they're invested in sharing their opinion or speaking their mind. And so we have to, we have to teach them that. Yeah. No, that's so good. Because I can see either girls go do exactly what you talk about is like go underground and then just spread stuff and justify their position about how they were so mean or whatever. Or what I see also is that girls are really inappropriate. Like they're just cuss them out, you know, just rage at them. Yes. So we, we talk a lot about helping girls differentiate between passive, passive, aggressive, aggressive and assertive behavior and communication and really try to break that down for them. Because for most girls, passive and passive aggressive can be their default. Mm-hmm. For some girls, aggressive, like full out, like you're talking about, can be, you know, they have a quick trigger, right? And they go straight to, to aggressive. The assertive communication, speaking your mind or mm-hmm. not letting anybody impose on your boundaries in a respectful and appropriate way is the hardest way to communicate for most girls and most women. 
we yes. still struggle with that, right? We yeah. still struggle with speaking our mind and, <clears throat> and all of that. And so that's an area I think of opportunity for mm-hmm. skill development. Like how does your girl stand up for herself? How does she share her opinion? Mm-hmm. Does she have opinions? Mm-hmm. You know, like, mm-hmm. Hey, where would you like to go to dinner today? It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Hey, mm-hmm. what do you want to do here? I don't care. Whatever mm-hmm. you want. Yep. Or, you know, I sometimes use just a really simplistic example of if she gets a exam back from her teacher and she thinks she got a question right and the teacher marked it wrong, would she have the ability to go and say like, hey, I think that I got number seven right, but you marked it wrong. Could you mm-hmm. check it again? Mm, yeah. So I think a lot of those ways that we help her realize that her voice matters and her opinion is important and give her chances to practice that yeah, in low risk situations gives her the opportunity and the efficacy to then be able to do that in higher risk situations or situations where she feels like her boundaries have been imposed on or she's feeling unsafe, right? Like, hey, you're sitting too close to me or no, I don't want a back rub, right? Yeah, I want, right. But if she can't say like, Hey, I don't want to go there for lunch. She's going to have a really hard time saying things or setting boundaries or communicating assertively when it's really important stuff. Mm, I completely agree with you. So chapter five, relationships, dating and coercion, developing healthy relationships in an age of sexting, swiping and snapping. So how do you feel this digital age has impacted dating and relationships? Ooh. I mean, (laughs) I'm just asking you big questions. I know, I know. (laughs) It's almost like there, uh, it's almost like there isn't like a pre, like you can't even say like, remember when we used to do things like this or people used to go on dates or talk to each other on the phone. Like it makes us sound like so antiquated when we say like, (laughs) could you just pick up the phone and have a conversation? And you just get this like giant eye roll of like how irrelevant you are in the world. But like, it's the new way of communicating. Mm -hmm. And it's the new way of developing and sustaining relationships. And that was not how I developed or sustained relationships. That is not how I came to know my closest friends or the people that I dated or my partner. It wasn't. But for girls now, it so much is that. And I think that we can often like harken back to like, oh, wasn't it so nice when people used to do this? And when we think that that's the right way, when we think that's the right way to do it, then we communicate to the girls that what they're doing is wrong now. Yeah. And so I think so much of our ability to understand is our ability to stop and pause and recognize that this is the new normal, that building a relationship or that communicating via texting and social media and you know digital platforms of all sorts is how relationships are happening now. And we have to help girls understand how to navigate those so that their relationships in real life and their relationships that are happening via technology have the same boundaries, have the same respect, have the same kinds of communication and safety in them. And Mm -hmm. and I think that's a really tricky and nuanced conversation to have with girls. That's a great point, because if moms are just saying, trying to deny all of that, then we're not giving them the safety. Yeah, I think sometimes it's like, well, those aren't real friends, or those aren't real people, or that's not really how you're going to meet the person that you're going to ultimately spend your life with. We, we kind of minimize it as silly, or, oh, that's just that, oh my God, her friend's on TikTok, or, right? And, and I think when we do that, we lose an opportunity to truly help her learn how to navigate those relationships. And oftentimes when it comes to social media, we'll just say things like, if you ever do anything on there, like, right, I'm taking your phone away. If you ever send a picture, if you ever get a picture that's, you know, revealing, if you ever are engaged in any of this, I'm taking your phone away. Right. And that's kind of the parameter that we set, period. Right. Well, so that actually doesn't teach girls anything. Right. (laughs) 
teaches except nothing. Except to be sneaky, right? <laughs> except to make right. sure that mom doesn't find out what's happening, but it doesn't really open the lines of communication for her to be able to come to you and say, hey, I got this picture and I didn't ask for it and it's totally freaking me out. I don't know what to do. Right. If we've already deemed it as silly or stupid or um, unnecessary, you know, we're we're not going to be the person that she comes to, to figure out how to solve or how to navigate it. I think. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's so true because I think moms are, we want to set boundaries, but that's not teaching or learning. And one of the things that going back to what's different between 2013 and 2021 is I think a girl's going into their room was a lot safer in 2013. So now it's not that safe. So we say, you know, they're in their rooms and then they're trying to figure all this stuff out. And what I experienced in my private practice is that girls don't know what to do. And I'm sure you hear that with your girls, like the, especially the middle school girls. They don't know what to do because they're getting threatened and they just kind of want, want it to go away. And often they send a picture just try, because they don't know what to do. Exactly. Our research study showed that by the time girls are in high school, more than two thirds have been asked to send um, a nude photo of themselves. And what we hear them say is that it's every, everyone gets asked, it's part of the currency, that sexting is just a reality of being a teenager now. And what, what we see a lot is, you know, I've got programming in about 500 schools throughout the country Um, through the nonprofit that I operate. And when we go to schools, we do a lot of workshops for parents and for educators. But we also see a lot of folks coming in and talking about digital dangers. And, you know, uh, you'll have police officers come in and tell students that, you know, if you ever do this, that you're going to be on the sex offender registry for 20 years. And, And we try to scare them into making good choices which actually isn't a great strategy for teens, as you well know. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what we find is that instead of walking alongside them and teaching them how to end a conversation, how to set a boundary, how to deal with coercion, how to say no in a variety of different ways, how to deflect, right? All of these are skills that, that our girls need Yes, but we're not spending the time to teach them these discrete skills. We're spending the time saying like, don't ever do that or I'll take your phone away. And yes. so how can we shift that into, hey, what skills does a girl need to not have sex with someone she doesn't want to have sex with? It's not just self-respect. It's a lot of other things, right? That's it's, such a great question. Can you say that again? Yeah, I, I think... The question I I often say is, what are the skills a girl needs to not have sex with someone she doesn't want to have sex with? Yeah, great question. And our visceral reaction is like self-respect and not to be in the situation in the first place. Mm -hmm. That's what most adults will say to that question. But really, the skills that she needs are being able to stand up for herself, being able to set her boundary in advance of what's okay with her and what's not knowing how to articulate and enforce that boundary verbally and physically if she needs to, knowing who to talk to when when she needs support in a situation, knowing how to deal with coercion of that extra pressure that is often applied, knowing when to end and leave the situation, right? There's, There's all of these discrete skills. Those are the exact same skills a girl needs to not send a naked photo of herself. Yes, yes. But we don't, we don't teach her those. Where, yeah. where would she learn how to think about and practice those concrete and very discrete skills in a safe place? We often don't provide those environments and those kinds of, of opportunities to practice. And we just expect that girls would know how to do that because if they respect themselves, 
they shouldn't do this. And I'm like, no, 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 you can have self-respect. And, and you know, it's not a character deficit. It's a skill deficit. Oh, that's so good. That is so good. This is so important. This conversation is so important. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. So many things I want to talk to you about. Okay. So chapter nine, academic or Instagram influencer, why girls feel they have to choose. So can you tell us what this chapter is about? So this chapter is about the pressure that girls are under to navigate the smart versus pretty world that we still live in. And girls tell us this too, is that they feel that most girls their age are embarrassed to be smart. And while some of that is shifting, there's still a very pronounced importance of appearance versus competence, right? And that doesn't go away when we get older, right? The world values girls and women for what they look like first and Mm. everything else about them second. Mm. And girls learn that from the time they're little girls, right? Because we tell them how pretty they are. And the first thing that we say to a little girl when we see her is, look at you. You're so beautiful. She's so pretty. Look at her. I love your outfit. I love your hair. True. And it's right. It's the first thing if it, I would, I would guess if most of the audience who was listening thought about like, if a three-year-old girl ran into their room right now, what you would first say to her. Right. No, that's just truth. Yes. And so I think that that reinforcement, right. Is even more amplified now with social media, right? We know that appearance and visuals get much more attention and play on social media than words. We know that videos get more attention than pictures. So that visual appearance related feedback is now even more amplified for our girls. When we start that from the time they're babies, oh, you're so beautiful. She's so sweet. She's so cute. And then that's the reinforcement she gets until she's forever. But like when she's 12 and now suddenly posting pictures of herself and looking for those likes and we're like, why does she only care about what other people think of her? Why does she only care about how she looks? And I'm like, well, we created that because we've been telling her that since she was little, that, that, that matters. Right. And, and, and so we have to think about what we're also amplifying or reinforcing for other girls and women in our life. Like, we don't need to be making comments about appearance, mm-hmm. period. Yeah, no, that's really good. Yeah, I was thinking, I mean, it's so antiquated, but, you know, me growing up, it's like the family took random pictures or, you know, maybe 12 pictures during the year. Yeah. And now with the phones, it's like a million. A million. <laughs> I'm guilty of this, but it is so true. I'm like, at what other period in the world did uh, you have a picture of your child every day of their life, right? I'm pretty sure that for my girl, like the whole first year of her life, there is at least one photo. (laughs) Of course, of course. All right. So then chapter 11, CEOs, politicians, and superintendents, but where are all the female leaders Can you tell us what the professional literature says about girl leadership and what is a new model of leadership for girls? Again, a big question. It is, but it's such an important one because it really connects back to what girls see as possible for them Mm -hmm. and what they see as possible for their futures and their careers and their opportunities. And, you know, despite having made strides in some areas, we're still in a place where we're not even close to equity. And so when I think about female CEOs, particularly of the biggest companies, you know, there's not many women. Right now, there's fewer than 5% of the Fortune 500 CEOs are women. And I think at this moment, there's one woman of color amongst those. Mm. So when we're thinking about working with girls and saying, you can be anything you want, when they look to see what's possible, they're not seeing themselves represented in that. Same yeah. thing in, you know, in politics, in STEM fields, in lots of careers that are not traditionally occupied by women. It's been very hard to achieve parity 
in those spaces. And I often use education as an example as well, because as an educator, I'm in K through 12 schools a lot all over the country. And on average, about 86% of K through 12 teachers are female. Mm. So that's a female dominated arena. And yet when you get to the highest levels of education or of, of the K through 12 system, the superintendency, only about 14% of school superintendents are women. That's crazy. Yeah. So despite the fact that you have 80, over 80% occupying the profession, when it comes to the highest levels of leadership, women aren't well represented at all. Hmm. And so what does that tell our girls? Right. Right. That there's a ceiling, even in an arena where it's made up mostly of women. So the higher the power, the higher the prestige, the higher the pay, the fewer women that we see there. So when I think about what we need and want to do for our girls, it's help them acknowledge that that's the reality and not have them be afraid of being one of the only or charting their own path but also helping them see themselves as leaders in different ways than maybe they're seeing traditional kinds of leadership, right? Yeah. Being a leader doesn't have to be the loudest person in the room, doesn't have to be the most aggressive voice, doesn't have to be some of those very male, um, traditionally male characteristics. That's Mm -hmm. what people default to when they think of leadership. And I want our girls to think of what they bring to the table as leadership skills, which is, consensus building and the ability to build relationships and have higher levels of emotional intelligence to rally a team in ways that are often underappreciated. I completely agree. So what last advice would you give the moms out here who are listening? Oh, moms, I think we have to be a little gentler on ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I say that because all the little girls around us are paying attention to what we say about our bodies. They're paying attention to what we say about other women. They're paying attention to what we say about all of the things that we do well or that we don't do well. And so, you know, I I was in a, a dressing room at a store and I heard a mom with her daughter in a dressing room a couple doors down from me and they were trying on bathing suits And the mom was just talking about how bad she looked, how she could never wear this, how she never wanted to wear a bathing suit again. Like I wanted to knock on the door and say, stop it. Like, don't say that in front of your girl. Because for a really long time, our girls think that we're the most beautiful, wonderful things in the world. And when we degrade our own bodies in that way, they're judging their bodies right alongside us. And when we talk about food as like, oh my God, I can't eat that because I'm going to have to spend like 30 more minutes on the treadmill. They're hearing that. And when we talk about other women and say, oh my gosh, did you see what she was wearing? What is she thinking picking up her daughter in those yoga pants, right? She's hearing that. So I think sometimes it's like, hey, we got to give ourselves a little more softness, a little less pressure and be, a, and basically it's like, we got to care a little bit less so that our girls aren't seeing mom pressure cookers. And, yes. and, and I think that's just, it's a hard thing to put into practice, but I think it's so important because we're their role models. Yeah. And that's what girls tell us in our research. When we ask them about role models, they're not talking about famous celebrities near as much as they're talking about their own moms and grandmas. Wow. So we need to be role models for self-acceptance and self-compassion. Yeah. Yes. Because that's where they're going to learn it. Right. That's what Mm -hmm. they're watching every day. Like I, I don't want, you know, and I, I know now my girl's life is going to be complicated because I feel like everyone's going to be like, oh, Lise, let's see how your daughter turns out. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I recognize that pressure, but I also don't want her to ever hear me say anything negative about my body. 
I want her to hear me say like how strong and powerful this body that I have is and how cool it is that it does stuff. Right. Yeah. Because I want her to think about herself in that exact same way. And, and sometimes that means I have to bite my tongue and not (laughs) say what I'm thinking. Right. Yes. Every day, bite the tongue. (laughs) (laughs) This is so great. So how can moms contact you and how can they find Girls Without Limits? Yeah. So Girls Without Limits is on Amazon. Um, so you can find the book that way. And it's there. The second edition would be the one that you want to look for that came out here in 2021. You can also find me through our the nonprofit that I operate. It's called Ruling Our Experiences. We call it ROCKS, R-O-X for short. And uh, we currently have programming in 22 states in about 500 schools. And so the organization is centered around training professionals like school counselors and social workers to deliver a 20-week evidence-based program in schools for girls in grades 5 through 12. And then we do the large-scale national research that I was mentioning, and we're replicating that study right now. And then the other piece that we do is workshops and trainings for adults who have girls in their lives, whether they're teachers or whether it's counselors who need CEUs or whether it's attorneys who work in schools or mentors or volunteers. Our website is rich with free opportunities and tip sheets and research, as well as paid opportunities for earning CEU credits and that sort of thing. So rulingourexperiences.org is where you can find that. And then I'm just Lisa Hinkleman at rulingourexperiences.com is my email. So you could feel free to reach out to me through the website or drop me a note or follow us on social. (laughs) (laughs) And so where are you on social? Yeah, so we are on Facebook and Instagram primarily. And Facebook, we're ruling our experiences. Instagram, we are being a girl rocks, R-O-X. And we're the same for Twitter. And uh, we're also on LinkedIn. But I would say Instagram is probably the place that you want to go. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you so much. This has been great. And what you're sharing is really, really helpful. I think the moms are going to come away with, like, I think this will shift a lot of moms about how they think about stuff. So thank you. Thank you. And I appreciate hearing that because that's the goal, right? Is to use the research and then to provide strategies and skills and tips. And that's really what I tried to do in the book too, is have it be an easy read, but where, where there's concrete information where there's reflections and case studies and sentence finishers that you can like go chapter by chapter and walk away with things you can start to implement immediately. Yeah. And you do, you do that. Thank you so much. I appreciate our conversation. It's been so fun. Yeah, me too. This concludes this week's episode of Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. If this podcast has been helpful, I would absolutely love it If you could go to Apple Podcasts and give Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast a five-star review, this makes it easier for other moms like you to find the support and encouragement they need. Also, my best-selling and award-winning book, Dial Down the Drama, Reducing Conflict, Reconnecting with Your Teenage Daughter, A Guide for Mothers Everywhere. You can find that and order it online at Amazon and Barnes & Noble. And you can always find other great resources and contact me at ColleenOGrady.com, two L's and two E's. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.